Hey, this is Slayer, formerly known as Rage Killer, with my two co-hosts, Scared Jersey Guy and Duo Owen, and two additional guest co-hosts, Ardwolf and Mr. Swift. So, in the early 80s, there was a sci-fi horror film came that came out from John Carpenter, The Thing. bombed at the box office because people wanted alien movies like E.T. and critics mm-hmm. trashed the film for being too violent. So this film more or less was, well, found, much like the creature was in the ice, so... Or from the husky. <laughs> um, so, let's see. It had a budget about... Huh. Well, it says it had a budget about $50 million, according to Wikipedia, and made about $19 million. It doesn't seem like a bomb, but... Mm, not good. Yeah. It could have done better. It should have done better. Uh, let's see. I believe the 80s is when the whole like home video market started to evolve. I think, uh, I think it eventually picked up a cult following. I'm going to say that this probably is a film that people caught on cable and stuff. I would imagine. Probably ended to death on sci-fi channel and stuff but you know yeah um and eventually this film picked up a cult following and then many 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 years later uh, they did the comic book series and eventually a video game and a prequel which also bombed we'll get into that some other time for now we'll do john carpenter's the thing and ardwolf since you're uh to have a hell of a lot of trivia on this do you want to take over the the hosting duties and start with the roundtable non-spoiler recommend not recommend for John Carpenter's The Thing. I can definitely do that. I can um, definitely, we can start with a non-spoiler on that. Um, I will say my my opinion about John Carpenter's The Film, to this day, it is actually one of my favorite horror films and the one that has been so well done in the era that it was made in that it puts a lot of shame to a lot of other horror films that I still, that I actually see to this day. Um, if anything, the film entirely is a masterpiece. John Carpenter knew what he was doing. He was creating something that was unique and different because no films, I don't think, or some films or no films at the time, I don't think had tried much of what they were aim- what he was aiming for. Um, I would, uh, when I, when it comes down to it, um, at, at the time when it was released, it was definitely overshadowed by E.T. And I believe there was another film that had came out around the same time as well. Um, but I can't remember which, which one it was. But at the time that the, the, when the film came out, everyone was more interested in like action films and feeling good walking out of the theater. The Thing is more of a film that is both horror and, and terrifying and leaves you with a questionable ending um, that honestly leaves people theorizing and creating so many ideas of what could happen next, if there is even a next. 
um, which is why, I, to me, I, I think is it was it's sad to see that the film never got what it deserved but what i love to see is how that years later people came together and saw this film and saw that this film had something at the time and it just and it, the, the the appreciation for it came with many people spreading that word and i and bh bhs is being sold and dvds being sold and blu-rays even being sold it, I think to me, it's overall the best horror thriller film I've ever found and even seen. Hmm. Um, Nuo? Well, um, I would agree that it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece of not only horror, sci-fi, special effects, all the things that you typically throw at the board, but also suspense, mystery, and gallows comedy. In the sense that the people working on it, both the actors, author and director, they all made everything work in a kind of perfect conjunction to lure viewers in and leave them wondering, providing information without providing too much of it, and ultimately culminating in a climax that if you've never seen or heard anything about it, will knock you on your back. It's something I would absolutely recommend because if you haven't seen it, you're missing out on one of the greatest horror sci-fi films that, in my opinion, had ever been created. Swift? Uh, following suit, it is a masterclass of all things from practical effects to uh, very subtle storytelling throughout characters and just even sound effects that can happen in the background. The film speaks especially probably to the crowd of the modern day and at the risk of dating this podcast. Uh, the whole concept of a paranoia-inducing disease that creates an isolation effect amongst a series of people can be relatable. And uh, if anyone is listening to this anytime recent, wash your damn hands. But after that fact, go watch uh, The Thing by John Carpenter. It is damned good. And this has been a public service announcement by Mr. Swift. <laughs> Jersey guy? Well, yeah, I'm going to echo the same sentiments about how this movie came out at the perfect time for it to come out. And even Carpenter has admitted that this movie kind of played off of the whole fear of the AIDS epidemic, which is pretty much what the original one did when it played off of the threat of communism, you know, with keep watching the skies, you know. But it, it was the whole... AIDS epidemic thing that was going on with this era here, and it perfectly played off of it. It was something that takes you out. You don't know what it is. You don't know what it looks like. And oh, look at you know 2020 so far. <laughs> you know it's it, it it's probably one of the best remakes that I've ever seen in my life. I mean, whether or not you want to put it in the horror genre or not, it, it just you know, with remakes. I mean, I, I hate fucking remakes. And Psycho remake, I thought was an abortion. Mm -hmm. We've already talked about that. Just almost any remake that I've seen has never been up to par. And it's not because of the rose-colored skies feeling that we talked about earlier with this will never live up to standards. It's it, it just can't be beat. It took every single principle that the original had and it improved upon it and it made it better. The acting was great. The storyline was fantastic. This movie genuinely scared the shit out of me as a kid. You know, and I can only mm. imagine how adults felt walking into a movie theater and watching this in 1982. The music, 
everything about this. You couldn't have done this better. Right. Um, and when it comes to remakes, I definitely say the 80s did it well. Did a lot of them well, like The Blob and The Fly. And even the Night Living Dead remake in the early 90s was really good. So not all necessarily terrible, but I do get what you're what you're saying. There's also a lot yeah. of soulless remakes like The Fog remake and stuff. Ugh. Um, now in terms of... yeah. But they're not. Well, let's forget that ever exists. <laughs> yes. In, uh, in a way, with oh, go with, on. Well, it's, oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, you go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, and again, like I agree with uh, Jersey on that. Um, honestly, yeah, this film is honestly it's it hits a lot of the numbers right. The soundtrack, the characters, uh, or character buildup, and and as well as like the environment and everything it just this film screams so much perfection in so many ways and it honestly still like i still even question sometimes every time it's like why in the hell this film never got the appreciation it did at the time when i know that a lot of like et and others were out of the time and it overshadowed it, it it still made me kind of scratch my head on about about the reviewers as well like i swear it just it just was really odd to me that a film this good hmm. just gets overshadowed and just gets di just gets disappointing reviews with low box office. I, I just it, it it stuns me a bit, but I guess right. at, with a lot of people, it, it in a sense everyone has their own sayings and their own minds. So they, you know, some people may have there might have been people that might have went to see that film and they came out were terrified and shocked. And that they love the film, but no one gave it appreciation for what it for what it was. And John Carpenter and all the actors that play their roles, and even the effects creators. Honestly, it's why I still again, like I said, I still think a lot of the effects they did in that film is still so good that it puts a lot of other films to shame. It, with some mm -hmm. films, not all films, but some some films of even of modern day to shame. Right. Um, I kind of I kind of have a little bit of input there. Um, as a student of literature, there's something we tend to say in the field, which is that if people didn't hate it at the time it comes came out, there's not much to say about it today. Mm -hmm. Because it, it, there's something to be said about being ahead of its time, and most of that tends to be flying in the face of popular conceptions and what people would like to see and portraying or confronting uncomfortable or horrifying truths. Hmm. And I think it's something that the film does in spades through its portrayal of much variety of subject matter without getting into spoilers hmm. that um, absolutely just probably was just very disruptive to the mindset of theater goers walking in with no idea what they were in for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. If it's new and it's unexpected and it actually does something for once in a hundred years fresh in the movie industry, well, of course a critic is going to hate it because they want to be able to predict everything. So chances are mm -hmm. it's good if it gets bad reviews like that out the gate. Same thing with Blade <laughs> Runner. Oh yes, definitely, definitely. Blade Runner was also a great film, um, but at the time it was made and how it was 
how it was, it was much different from what they have now in the final cut or in the, in the director's cut now, I think. Uh, final cut. I, final I cut. It's the final cut. Director's final cut, cut still didn't have the uh, the full film. Right. So that, yeah, that's it. I was like kind of getting confused because they've come out with different versions of the cuts on that, and it was just like, ugh, kind of gets you kind of confused. But like a the damn dozen of them. Cut. Yeah. Yeah. The final cut did a really good job on that part, which you know could go into that as well. But definitely, again, um, yeah. I mean, I feel like in some ways, if you if they were wanted to improve upon a film. Like I know they did with um, John Carpenter's The Thing with the Blu-ray release by adjusting a lot of the lighting and colors in that to kind of give some easy answers. And I mean, once we get into spoilers about that, it definitely will say it's it's pretty interesting what they did with the Blu-ray edition of The Thing hmm. from John Carpenter. Um, would I recommend it? Yeah, of course. Uh, it's definitely one of my favorite uh, horror films. Um, one of Carpenter's best. I'm not going to say it's the best because Carpenter at the time was such a master of doing unique things with his films. I'm just not going to play that game. Like Halloween was excellent. Christina's excellent. This is excellent. And the Mouth of Madness. And then non-horror stuff like Escape from New York. I go on and on. Uh, this is part of his Apocalypse trilogy, which I believe was a thing. Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness. I still need to watch Prince of Darkness. In the Mouth of Madness, though, I think was his last great film. Though I still think Escape from LA is a guilty pleasure, but hey, Vampires was in bed. Oh, I haven't seen that forever. Huh. Um, but I think uh, John Carpenter's a thing is a masterwork that holds up just as much today as it did when it, when it was made. The effects are excellent. The cast is excellent. Kurt Russell is fucking amazing because he's Kurt Russell. Keith David and the rest of the actors in it are all. All great. Uh, even 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 the husky does an excellent acting job. The husky. The husky white thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is also one of the you few. You left movies... that Wilford Brimley. Oh yeah. Oops, my bad. Yes, the diabetes. diabetes. Well, if you're past certain age, remember from, from oatmeal commercials, and if you're a bit younger, you'll remember from the diabetes commercials. So yeah. Um, you're pronouncing it wrong. It's diabetes. diabetes. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> Uh, so this was also one of the first of Carpenter's films where he didn't score it, um, uh, which, which was is surprising. kind of funny considering that it actually sounded like something he would do. Yeah, I thought it was him for a long time. And I was like, oh, oh, I'm I'm wrong. Oh shit. Whoops. Um. So yeah, let's just go into spoilers and do our favorite scene from the movie. I'll start. Uh, obviously the the scene where the the husky reveals itself is the the thing is masterfully done disturbing creepy so i have a story uh, i'm going to share with john Carpenter's a thing somebody brought it over i had never seen the movie at the time and my my two nieces were over and so i had them sit next to me as i was watching the film they were probably they were really young anyways the film got to the husky part <laughs> even i was creeped out by that scene and I was like, yeah, you guys go in the other room. Let's just say the younger one, which is now 18, uh, was brave enough to rewatch that Carpenter thing. And the other one that's like uh, 24 uh, refuses to watch that Carpenter thing to this day <laughs> because of that scene. But she watched Leviathan, so I don't know, but whatever. Um, another favorite scene of the movie is 
obviously the defibrillator scene so so good but oh, yes i'm gonna step back on the husky scene does anyone have any comments on that scene of how it was done um i do um there's something really masterful about how it's done and you spoke about it yourself with the acting on the part of the husky right it's it's not so much just seen as let's just say the sequence of scenes leading up to that that all kind of fit together for me mm-hmm. everything about that dog is sort of unsettling unusual right and just off the way it interacts with people the way it's like very calm uh, when, they, when they put it in the kennel it just walks in and stares at the wall and i really am curious how they got the dog to even do that because it's just very in uh, i almost said inhuman but undog like dog behavior it's very bizarre, and there, there's just this discomfort. And then when this the scene unveils itself, it's just an explosion of gory horror. Horror. It just it it's almost mind breaking the first time you see it, because you're just no matter what you've seen before, you're not ready for what's about to happen to that dog and the other dogs in that kennel. That's the genius of the movie is that you never know what you're going to see next, even in that first scene, just the way like the head splits open and then and then, you know, this and that happens. And like eventually it like that flower effect happens where you can't if you pause the movie, you can actually see it's actually a bunch of like dog teeth and dog tongues. It's really you only see it really quickly in the movie, but it's just it's well, yeah. That, that, if I if to continue on that vein, though, like it's the amount of detail, and it's not just your typical detail because they could have just had the dog's mouth open big mm-hmm. and it start eating the other dogs. They could have had it turn into a blob and start absorbing them. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of an amalgamation of many, many kind of Lovecraftian horror concepts coming together to show viewers that. The monster in this film is not going to follow conventional monster rules. True. That's that's what I love about it. It's the fact that the thing doesn't have an iconic look. While they do show some of the looks that they have created for the monster specifically, the possibilities of the thing is that this could be anything it wants to transform into. It could literally be a any terrifying form and it's still in a sense it it puts the it puts the audience in a sense of fear because you don't know what the heck the the thing's going to turn into next it could the stomach could become a a, like teeth all of a sudden or it could be fuck it could literally do some things that are just completely wild and just crazy and that's it's why i like the dog scene so much because it's you see the whole transformation happening. The dog's face splits, the skull, the dog falls out, and you just see like a tongue just flickering around with like spider legs. Like the the creep factor of that and it's the unnatural look and design of what they had created. Honestly, it's what it shows is basically terror and fear of a biological creature of any that takes any form it wants and mimics whatever. Hmm. Right. It's it's definitely like yeah again like when you look into like the Lovecraftian side as well it's like you're looking into a creature that could be anything, and it's it's pretty wild for that reason and I 
feel that even like when you look at the front cover of the film, I I always kind of see like yeah, it shows a guy with in a jacket, um, with his face pitch white. But that that cover I feel kind of interpretates a lot of things is the unknown, the possibility of what the thing is, and there's nothing that you see because of the fact that it could be anything. It could be you, me, and it can change into whatever monster creature it desire it wants to be. Right. What are your, what are some of your favorite scenes of the movie Arvolf? My favorite scenes of the film, I, I I do have a lot of favorite um the dog scene, I think it's still to me it's like the best part of showing that the fact of what the creature is is and what's gonna possibly happen next, as well as the defibrillator scene, the um scene where they're doing the blood test scene. I think to me, the blood test is the best scene to me. Because it, that was the scene that scared me as a kid. Mm. Uh, was when the blood jumped, and then that was a jump scare that was actually pretty good for what it did. But to then to see the terror, what's going to happen next to um, to one of the characters, being that it's like you see his face starts bleeding, and then just all of a sudden rips apart and becomes nothing but teeth and eats it like windows. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> it, it it just that was the fucking best scene. Just seeing the body just flaying, flaying, flailing around, and everyone just screaming and just saying, "Get me the fuck out of here!" It definitely was. I think to me, the most well done scene in the film was that part of specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, Swift. <laughs> uh, I think I follow suit with everyone else here on the broken record but uh with the dog scene probably being one of the best scenes of the entirety of the film and from a filmograph uh, filmography standpoint it is incredibly important because it goes all out i think it's the longest and most complex scene in the entire film and it's the first time we get to see the actual capacity of the thing it rips open its own head. It shows a third head. It shows a mock standing out of itself. And it shows two hands that scale to the ceiling in one fell swoop. The whole thing is supposed to unveil just what you have to expect and not expect going forward from the rest of the film. After that point, you're just terrified of what is going to happen. And that's supposed to also help kind of encapsulate the emotion of, like, everyone else that is dealing with this monstrosity. Uh, All the other scenes, also fantastic. I like a lot of the interactions that happens between the characters. My God, one of my favorite scenes alone in the film, uh, just for its simplicity, but it definitely uh, encapsulates the... Deal nature of uh, Kurt Russell having to just pour whiskey into his computer after it cheats him out of a game of chess. Um, the uh, every scene that you see the thing is fantastic, but in my opinion, the film mostly shows its real capacity for emotion in every scene you can't, and you're trying to guess where it's going to show up next. Um, I credit the special effects artists in every way, shape, and form for the pneumatic tubes and everything that they used, the animatronics and puppeteering. Uh, I I do question certain scenes at times, like at uh, towards the end of the film where they had like the brief stop motion episode with the tentacles and uh, maybe a couple of other little segments. I enjoyed the Windows death scene, but I think they overused the ragdoll. 
but aside from like those two specific moments every other second that you can pretty much slow-mo through the film by reveals the genius of every last little sculpted detail of the just the carrion that they were able to emulate with this film and uh props alone for that let alone beyond the acting and everything else that happens Hmm. uh jersey guy uh, I kind of want to say my favorite scene in the whole movie was the whole movie. I mean, I mean, from start to finish, it was absolutely filled with either interesting dialogue, insane horror moments, or just fantastic action. If I was really going to have to pick, like, select scenes, the dog one is a good one, but I'll go something different and pick something else. But I want to quick talk about the dog one. Because if I remember correctly, Stan Winston actually wound up doing the dog scene. Because at that point, I think Rob Bottin was hospitalized. Because this poor bastard was living on just a diet of candy bars and very little sleep because he was working his ass off, Mm. putting together these amazing special effects. And I think Stan Winston wound up stepping in and sending his team down there to help finish up because the poor bastard just couldn't physically do it anymore. And that right there just shows you how much commitment that the guy had to doing this. And most people would remember Rob Bottin as um, Blake from another John Carpenter movie, The Fog, which we should really talk about sometime. But if I was going to pick a favorite scene, it would have to be maybe the blood test scene or the the defibrillator scene. That Mm. was another one right there. Yeah. I agree. The the defibrillator scene was, I think, the biggest one they actually did it was it's a wild scene i still actually really love that scene too because they they actually had to do a lot of practical effects on that one Mm -hmm. and i mean that was a total holy shit moment for me yeah Yeah. who the fuck expects a spider head yeah well not even the spider head i'm just talking about stop that biggering we we know windows bring over the defibrillator and then he's clearing them clearing them and then the third time you know, yeah. the thing pops open, and before you even, like, register in your mind what the fuck that thing is, no pun intended, you know, but the mouth open with the teeth, it's already closed on his hands, and it's set in what's happened. Yeah, you know, it, it's just, that was a real wow moment for me. It, the dog uh, scene was great, because it perfectly showcases that, I mean, even the actors, what the fuck is that thing, you know? <laughs> But uh, it's just everything about it was so perfect. You know, I mean, the paranoia that was in the fact that um, another oh shit moment for me would have had to have been when, you know, and I just said this in the last one that we did. You knew all the characters. The guy, Clark. Yeah, when Clark tried to throw the punch at him with the scalpel in his hand and McCready just blew him away like that. And you're like, oh. Mm. And then it comes out later on that he wasn't, you know, that he wasn't infected. You know, so Childs looks at him and he was like, yeah, so that makes you a murderer, you know? And of course, the best part of the movie would have to be maybe, you know, I know you gentlemen have been through a lot, but if you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking fucking couch. couch. I love that scene. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that part. It's just the fact that I'd rather not be strapped to this, like, just that scene, oh gosh, the chair. (laughs) Or the dark uh, humor. But you know what, the more you talk about it, the more you come up with these oh shit moments. Like when Mm -hmm. Windows got set on fire and he broke through the wall, kind of like in the homage to the original. 
That was Kurt Russell that threw that dynamite at that pile of fire. And, <laughs> and when the blast went off, and if you look at him when you rewatch this movie, because how could you only just watch this movie once in your life? Yeah. The next time you watch the thing, keep your eye on Kurt Russell when that blast went off, and you can see him going, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> no better acting than real. No. He also yeah, he also has the best line at the end of the movie. Yeah, well, fuck yeah, you fuck too. Fuck you too. Uh, so good. <laughs> uh, Neil, what was your favorite scene? Um, scene definitely. I, mean? the, I was yeah, definitely gonna have the same kind of line of reasoning, which is that it's hard to pick out a singular scene. To me, the film is practically one scene because it carries so much inertia from the beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I had to pick a few, I'm gonna count multiple shots as one scene but from the spaceship going down to the norwegian passenger getting executed as he's trying to kill that damn dog Mm -hmm. there's just so much mystery and intrigue set up in those moments where you're really there with the characters who will become the surviving characters of the film cut down one by one of course mm-hmm. as they try and just get why this guy wants this damn dog dead so badly yeah like and, tossing grenades at it and shit yeah grenades shooting a person trying to shoot the dog even though the dog is oh, just grazed them. Person, it's just absolutely mind-boggling at first viewing and then if I had to pick a second, it's shortly after. It's the investigation of the Norwegian camp. And yeah. just kind of the pacing and cinematography of the unveiling of the bleakness that they are facing. The depiction of suicide by a person locked in a room. The destruction of the camp, the destruction of the supply crates, the burned corpses outside. And, of course, the mysterious block of ice with a hollowed-out center. Yeah. It all just leaves viewers mystified, because if you haven't seen The Thing from Another World, that homage flies over your head. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you still don't really yet know that we're dealing... Like, aside from the spaceship, which is kind of still in the back of your mind, you don't really know that we're dealing with an alien for certain... Yet that spaceship that part is about the alien. That spaceship and scene at, is genius because, like, if you go in the movie blind, you're probably thinking like, "Oh, it's just going to be a typical, you know, aliens in a flying saucer movie," and it's like, <laughs> "Nope." And then, like, I I guess that's like it's what makes it so hard to pick out a favorite scene because for every favorite scene I describe or think about the next scene is immediately brought up in my mind. I'm like, oh yeah, it was really, really good too. Um, for me, if I had to pick one that hasn't been gone over before, because I pretty much agree with all of the ones that have been said, it would definitely be... Um, I'm just having a moment. Just give me a second to catch up with myself. I'm literally getting carried away trying to pick out my favorite scene. It's the... just. I think I'm just falling inarticulate right now because there's too many scenes for me to pick an absolute favorite. Everything carries on. Everything continues breaking rules. I think um, it touches on why it was critically panned is like one trope in rules about American media is you don't hurt, torment, 
or kill dogs. And that's like the opening scene for this monster, is hurting, tormenting, and killing dogs. And kudos to the original for also doing something similar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, now here's a good roundtable question for everybody. Who do you think was infected first? That's oh. a good question because it, it was a lot going on specifically in the film. And when the dog first got to the, out, to the outpost specifically, um, my first guess, uh, not, not just first guess specifically, because I feel like to me, the first person that got infected, uh, I believe was Vance. Um, Vance being that when we did see the uh, shadow Who's in the Vance? room with the dog going into uh, Vance Norris, he's the one that was uh, the one. Oh, that got I'm only going on the on the last names. Oh, okay, Norris. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Norris. Um, I believe he was the first one that got infected specifically because of the fact that when the dog, what the dog was going all over the base, and yeah. Like, legitimately, I will agree. The dog was really very much creepy because it just wasn't, like, a normal dog. Everything, the way the dog acted, like, especially looking at the window, like, he was literally looking and thinking about what he's going to do, what he's planning on doing. And when the others left, he uh, saw that Norris was alone in his room. And I believe when the dog went in, he infected Norris. And... Um, and like through that entire time, I feel like that's he was infected first. Um, I actually disagree. Hmm. I believe that Bennings was because the dog actually immediately licks his face, Damn. like on a level there when he jumps up on Bennings before he's grazed by that bullet. And Bennings is found um, in the snow, transforming. Mm -hmm. Well, now, remember, before then, Bennings was actually assimilated by the thing uh, that was on the, tray on the table, specifically. So, in the scene where um, Windows left to go get the keys to the, the storage room, um, he was coming back, and he sees Bennings is being assimilated by the fir by the thing that they got from the Norwegian base, uh, the two uh, two face or split two face split face, depending on how you want to call him specifically. He was being assimilated by him, and was hmm. not completed because when he broke out, he went he broke out the window, ran out in the middle of the snow, and, and um, everyone gathered around done. him, seeing that his hands were not fully complete. Um, basically being assimilated, and that's when you hear that terrifying scream, which honestly yeah. is the best fucking scream. It is because you get a sense of his own scream, but a combination of a, a, another worldly scream from him, and that part specifically, I think, was definitely terrifying and hair raising. Okay, well then I completely concede my point. I spaced on that scene entirely somehow yeah i wouldn't say that it was bennings because bennings it, it wasn't done and he would have had the most time personally i think it was palmer palmer's a good one too because yeah palmer um is another one specifically that uh shown in the film where he got assimilated at some point too and possibly yeah i mean he could be infected as well too because like the first long johns that were ruined were we had no name tag on it and 
his like you like the clothing in the film has been a major focus and yeah. he does have a major change in his clothing in that point so it it does leave a lot of questions if like did palmer get infected first or did um Oh gosh, what was it? or did Norris did? And so it, you know, chances are they could have been both infected by the dog at some point. Mm-hmm. But that I'd does leave a good question. Go ahead. What, what leaves me more with um, Palmer though is who's the one that's constantly wearing long johns? And I'd say that the hair type definitely matches up, and everybody knows that Palmer was the weird one. Mm-hmm. You know. And, and I mean, Norris, on the other hand, it's a possibility, but it may be, because um, I mean, there's always that theory that when it assimilates you, it picks up its issues. It it didn't know how to cope with having a heart attack. It would have probably had one sooner, you know? Mm-hmm. That's true. You know, I would have probably put my uh, eggs in the basket for Palmer just as well. Because wasn't he like the guy that jumped when the dog specifically went under the table and he yelled for it to be put in the kennels? I mean, is there a possibility that he may have even gotten like, I don't know, licked, bit, whatever that happened that made him actually freak out that much? No, that was Bennings. Oh, was that Bennings? You know, Clark, will you put this mud away? he He was that crybaby motherfucker. You know, I got shot today, and even the doctor was like, it just grazed you. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> you know, but but um, I'd say the first assimilation took place. Some people try to speculate, oh, well, it was the first lick or anybody who touched it. At that rate, it would have been anybody but um, uh, McCready. But um, I, I'd say the first assimilation happened when the dog walked into that room. Mm. I definitely think it was Palmer. Because who liked to stay in his room and smoke weed all day? <laughs> so it, it definitely that room scene that the person in the shadow again. It's very hard to say because I mean it, it there's was a intentionally part, done that way. Yeah. yeah, it was it was mainly intentionally done that way. the The only reason why I would say it's a little bit off if you do look back at that scene with the dog in the shadow, the only thing that's a little off is the hair, the hair lining. Because if you look at um. If you look at Palmer's hair, Palmer's hair is a little bit shaggy. It's a little bit messy. So you know he's like, he doesn't really tend to brush his hair so much. Possibly because he doesn't mm-hmm. want to be a pretty boy. <laughs> um, but when you look at Norris, I mean, the way I just feel like his hair is aligned, I feel like he's, you know, he's kept his hair pretty neat so far. And the one thing, again, it, clothing does take a major focus is the clothing in that scene within that shadow. The one thing that shows off is the fact that the collar, there was actually a collar that you can kind of tell it's poking out a little bit. If you look mm-hmm. kind of close, if, if I can pull up an image too, but like specifically, if you look at how, um, with how Palmer wears, Palmer doesn't really have much of a collar. Like his collar is pretty much kind of flat on his uh, vest. So it's it's really kind of a, a bit of a tough game, but again, yeah, it's like you can look at it both ways. But it, it, it says it, it seems like to me it's it's really kind of you would have to really take a good look at that photo or that part with the shadow and the dog going to the room. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean that's but... that, that's part of the beauty of the movie is that you're actually able to sit down and try to dissect it like this, and there's really no wrong answer so to say 
But except it, for me, like I think was... I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, I, I wouldn't say that it was Bennings, but well, because he had no hair. But the, you know what? This also could have been one of those things where the dog walked into the room with the shadow and nothing happened. That's know? true. That could be true. Right. Like that, could, nothing could have happened. Maybe oh, like the dog just walked in, which is surveilling the scene. Even though he just walked into the room, just looking like a regular dog. A mm-hmm. lot of things could really could have, could have happened, and I think a lot of the time and focus kind of goes into the detail of both what's going on in the base, the characters, and how and just how things are just tra- tra- traversing or transversing through the whole thing specifically. Right. Um. Mm-hmm. On all things, it's like you, there's a lot of major focus that happens at so many points in the film. At some point, something like this could have happened, and it, it's really either the film will show it to you or it won't, which it kind of leads the viewers to kind of debate on that part is about when the character got infected or who got the blood specifically. And I actually want to get to that in just a moment with that, but like, yeah, like in, in any case, it, it's yeah, it's, it's still pretty wild for what why they're making it so confusing for so many audiences on that part which well that's i think it's good yeah it's not spoon fed and i mean even if you want to sit here and try to dissect this scene it fits into the message that john carpenter is so well known for of you're gonna sit here and be like who got it first Mm -hmm. you know and it's the same thing with you know back then with who who's a who's a dirty red and back in the 80s who could have AIDS? Because they didn't know how the fuck AIDS was transmitted back then. You know, they didn't That's know true. any of that shit at all. Mm-hmm. And the same thing applies today with COV-19. That's you don't true. know where the fuck mm-hmm. it came from. You don't know how the fuck you got it. And if a bunch of people are sick, who got it first? And well, this person went to the grocery store. Motherfucker, you couldn't, you, you might have gotten it from going to the post office. You know? And it, and it, it just applies here. Yeah. So I'm going to lift the veil a little bit because I'm a bit of a thing fan. It was supposed to be Palmer, but uh, uh, Bundy softened the edges to make it look a little more ambiguous. But um, it was actually stuntman Dick Warlock from Halloween. Oh, hmm. interesting. That was That's... Dick. That, that that was Dick Warlock sitting in there. He played Michael Myers in Halloween too, and. Mm-hmm. That's his shadow that you see. He he was also one of the androids in Halloween Three: Season of the Witch. Right. <laughs> oh wow. So he's deliberate... more well known for being in Steven Spielberg movies, John Carpenter movies. He's been in fucking everything. You know, just just um uh, what, what's another reference? Um, Casino. He was the security guard that zapped the guy sitting at the table. Cheaters <laughs> Justice. That guy. He's been uh... in everything. That uh, right there was um, your silhouette. So a third party a... just to confuse things only more, leave exactly. things that much more obfuscated. Exactly. But Dean Cundy went and softened the edges and diffused the image so that when you looked at it, you wouldn't know who it was. But if you were to get a definitive answer, it was supposed to be Paul. Mm. Oh, wow. That's actually pretty interest- interesting. I-, I like that specifically. So how did you get a definitive answer? Better question. Well, that was coming from director of photography Dean Cundy. Ah. He was the one because everybody asked him. It was like so. It, it was the same thing with um, the notion that if you look at the movie again, 
if you see a glint in people's eyes, it would mean whether or not they're infected or not, though. Yes, mm-hmm. that's what they did with the Blu-ray release. Was like they made it type of, kind of clear with like if you had the glimmer in your eye, it would show that you have humanity in a sense. So you would they would know they would it would be instant obvious. Like okay, this person is human. Okay, this person is human through the part of the, for this film specifically. But then when they lose that glimmer, it's like a part of their humanity is gone. So that's when you know that they they were that they were the thing and. And they tried. Mm-hmm. They made it obvious with the Blu-ray release because of that. So that's why they've updated like both the colors, the visuals, and so forth. And that, and they even made that glimmer a major thing to make to kind of give the uh, for people who really want to dissect on the film the idea of okay, this person's a thing and this person's not the thing. Exactly. And I, but once again, that's the beauty of this whole thing is mm-hmm. that you can watch this movie, nineteen eighty-two. So so what thirty. Eight years now it's been, and and it's still going strong. Where you can dissect it and appreciate it and enjoy it. Damn. Yeah, like us, we're all arguing on who did it first. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I I wanted to bring up something else with the Bennings thing. If he had gotten assimilated earlier when he got licked, why would the thing attack him and try to assimilate him twice? Hmm. That is and good. Well, that's why, as it was said, I immediately conceded my point yeah. and that is a, I, I know, that is a fair counterpoint to me conceding is maybe because it's portrayed in the microscope that the cells are what take over and take, assimilate yeah so a longer amount of time might be needed and then the opportunity was seen by the creature hmm. yeah it wouldn't happen instantaneously it would have to be a prolonged exposure yeah mm-hmm. that's the um, movie shows. as far as the infected list goes i know clark wasn't infected because you know he was killed and then they tested his blood Fuchs wasn't infected. Um, in fact, there's supposed to be a deleted scene, and I've seen a photograph of it where his body is impaled in the greenhouse with a shovel. Hmm. I know Doc wasn't infected because he was bitten and, you know, he was fucked up already. He was done. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to be alive for it to infect you. Hmm. Bennings wasn't quite done. Windows was coming back, I think. Or do you think Windows was dead? And, and so, or, or he was dying. So Windows, to me, I mean, he, I mean, through the film, he was not infected at all. I mean, he had as part of his humanity there. And the fact that a lot of times, uh, one of the things I liked about the film was how they characters, uh, kind of how they reacted and all. But Windows definitely was really just on edge about everything. And a lot of times Always. you kind of you kind of suspect like Windows is possibly the thing. Like I honestly really thought like Windows is a thing, honestly the thing. But no, he doesn't. And later in the film, the only time he st- he does become one is when he gets attacked by a uh, Palmer. When Palmer turns into the thing, bites, uh, basically takes a chomp on his head, flying all over the room, fly, and his body flies into the corner of the room, bloodied up, and all. That's the only time he's the thing. And that's a short time and all. But again, I mean, if any sense, I, and this is my honest saying, in a scenario like that, I feel like I would be Windows. Like, I would want to break that gun box and get the shotgun out and be like, I don't trust any of you fuckers. <laughs> Can um, you but... blame them, though? Yeah. On yeah, the subject mm-hmm. of... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, you're fine. You go ahead. Go ahead. On the subject of Windows, though, I'm not sure he was transforming when he was burned because how he acts when he's coming back to life is like how a person who's critically injured acts when they're regaining conscious 
darkness. And then when he gets lit on fire, he does zero superhuman feats. Hmm. No parts of him try to escape. He doesn't split at all. He just kind of whimpers and curls and squirms as he burns. Hmm. Like, I think, I think he was lit on fire as a prophylactic measure. And had he survived long enough, say they had gotten him on some kind of life support, he might have transformed. But hmm. I'm pretty sure they burned Windows alive. Because we're talking about the cellular takeover. It didn't hmm. assimilate him. It just pierced him multiple times. Probably broke his back. Shattered ribs. Broke legs. But it didn't have time to fully assimilate him. Hmm. Yeah, uh, he was it, done it, no matter what. He yeah, was going to die hmm. and transform, potentially. But he didn't... I don't think he had transformed by that point. So... I have something uh, that I want to comment on. Uh, just an observation. Um, since this movie was made in the '80s, and it was was did they say it was intentionally based off the AIDS epidemic in the '80s? It was definitely there was definitely an inspiration. Of Do you it. think it was intentional? Mm-hmm. Why there was no female characters in the movie then? Because I know in the '80s they definitely thought AIDS was primarily like a gay disease, and I was thinking about a bunch of guys being affected by a something taking them over. I don't know. So levels. <laughs> fascinating i don't know if that's intentional or just you know i i think, I it, think was, it was a realism thing i i agree i mean in a sense like i feel like to me if they were to say throw in a female character in this um i, I don't know like I, again when it comes to that part it's really honestly really hard mm-hmm. but i think they wanted to focus on more of a realistic side like you know this is gonna be a bunch this is gonna be a base filled with a bunch of guys and no women so it's like if you had like one woman around you know at some point someone's gonna have cabin fever or someone's gonna really just have difficulty with that and who knows women even will have cabin fever in that sense too so i mean in a sense when a guy is away from you know women it's one of those type of things where it can be kind of intimidating to have a lot of men around in that sense so having Mm -hmm. a base with just nothing but guys and no women it it's perfectly fine because all of them are, you know, trying to keep themselves sane and doing what they can. You know, they're they're scientists. They're all there for a purpose and everything. Um, which I'm kind of glad that you didn't really throw in a female character because with the new film, they did throw in a female character and they try to make her, in a sense, a female. She was like a female lead and the female type of hero, hero type of person. But... Mm-hmm. you know films like that if anything i still kind of give my most credit up and my love towards aliens because sigourney weaver's hot as shit she's awesome too mm-hmm. um fair enough and it's a very badass like if you're gonna do a female character in a heroic and awesome and badass way learn from aliens or terminator especially or terminator oh yeah like ter- terminator and aliens like fuck sarah connor and Sigourney Weaver, like Ripley, yeah, or Ripley, yeah. <laughs> Who the and, video game Metroid based off of Ellen Ripley too? Yeah, they mm-hmm. very much based off of her specifically in a way. So it's that is a way to really express a badass female character, not just by making a side character a like oh like side characters that are strong characters as well it's like well they may be mm-hmm. strong characters but they're not someone that we're rooting for specifically we're rooting for the ones that we already know and love 
for who they are and what that what made them a strong character in the first place right not a side character that's only there for a couple of scenes and you know they may be interesting characters but they're not a character that i would see myself enjoying as much um i have a contrasting viewpoint on the absence of female characters i think it has it's a personal but you know offense slaya uh I don't think it has a lot to do with the concept of the AIDS epidemic, and I'm not so sure it has so much to do with uh, trying... Well, I think, I think you touched on it a bit about trying to avoid the dynamics, but mm-hmm. I think it's mostly about avoiding a lot of the tropes that would be expected to be carried mm-hmm. with a singular female character, which means that in this time period, it's much like we saw in the previous film, there's it necessitates a love dynamic... It tends to cast one of the characters as a protector, or the film becomes bogged down attempting to explain why she is different and thus exempt from these tropes. I think it was yeah. more just uh, the everybody who worked on this film's attempt at keeping it about the creature and the social dynamics surrounding that without adding further complication and confusion by dealing with gender roles, either following them or going against them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hmm. I think, in a sense, that's actually pretty understandable. I can I can agree with that. It's actually a really good point, because um, if, if any women are watching this, don't hate me for this, but the truth is, is that it, it starts off as a horror movie, but the second that you put um, a woman character into it, it becomes a slasher movie. It's either that, or with Alien, the guys are all dumb shit, and a woman has to take charge of the situation. Yeah. Pre-existing connotative expectations. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I do want to kind of touch up on a really interesting question round table wise, and I'm pretty sure you might already know this answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people still suspect about this specifically, but who got the blood? Who got to the blood? I would say at that point it would have been um, Blair. You would say Blair? I know the keys were dropped. Yeah, either Blair or Palmer. I'm going back to Palmer. Palmer was a sneaky little fuck. I think the thing with Blair, though, is he had the largest shown predisposition towards hysteria. Where... That was definitely a hysterical action. It may have been rational, but from the outside, not understanding his motives or his knowledge, it it was like damaging the helicopter. It was a prophylactic measure against a threat that was rapidly turning out to be well outside their scope of knowledge or ability to deal with. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit of an interesting one because Blair actually at the time, like, yeah, there was a bit of a clothing change in that part, which we do believe maybe Blair was already infected when he was going rampage mode um, and destroying everything. But it also kind of opened up another possibility where he was still sane. He was still himself. And because after when he found out that he got that, like, oh, like the cell can basically assimilate and then look like just like a dog cell like when he found that all out and the computer told him that oh it could take about twenty seven thousand hours 
for the world to be pretty much taken over by this one being. Um, I think in a sense, at that point, he was still himself. Um, and the only time he got infected was by somebody who went into the shack because the one person, the one person out of all the others that um, like, like didn't become one of those things because of the fact that he killed himself in the process to, to stop that was, I believe it was uh, Fuchs. Fuchs was the only one that um, like Fuchs was outside of that specific area because he killed himself before the thing could possibly get to him. But when that happened, possibly that thing went and got Blair at that time. That's where I believe when Blair actually got um, assimilated by the thing, by somebody. And I and I believe to me that Palmer is the one who was the one that got to the blood because both in his trans it's both seen in his transformation in that sense and showing that you know blood starts pouring from his face and I believe that all that blood is basically from basically him taking all that blood and destroying it specifically and all um, that's my that's my guess is Palmer specifically. Well, do you remember the part when Bennings got attacked? When you found, you know, when Windows walks into the room and sees him, he's like, oh, shit. Mm -hmm. And you see that he's stuck to the, you know, that stretcher with the tentacles wrapped around him. Yes. What sound do you hear as Windows is running out of the room? The key's dropping. He exactly. drops the keys. So in that, in that scene specifically, too, yeah, like, in a way, he so those keys were left there. And I, yeah, I believe with anything Palmer as a sneaky guy as he is, I think he got it, destroyed the blood evidence by consuming at least some of it in some way. And especially at the time when, when, um, when Blair was going on the rampage, the, the one character that was missing from the scene to me was Palmer. Palmer, like, he was not there. I, I didn't really see Palmer at all. And so I think at the time when Blair was basically pretty much going rampage, Palmer at that time went to go get the blood and tamper with it. It's a possibility. It's a big possibility because, like, that entire scene, he's missing from it. And a lot of times, especially when they all find out someone tampered with the blood and you see the blood just kind of spilling out of it and everything, you know already by that point Palmer's already affected because he st he stays out of the conversation and you just see people pointing fingers at each other like, well, you had the keys last. Well, no, you had the keys last. It's like, in a sense, that's where he's like, he's keeping himself out of it because he does. he's like, I don't want to get involved with this. I'm, you know, but the thing's being smart about it. But when he so, did get involved, it was like always the most off-the-wall shit. Like when they were talking about splitting off into groups, Palmer was the one saying, I ain't going with Windows. I'll go yeah. with Childs, though. You, you know, shit like that. It, it, it's little tidbits like that that really stick out. Because, I mean, th th that also helped, you know, me with the, the idea that Palmer was the first one that was infected. It knew what the fuck it was doing. Yeah, it knew. And uh, even the part with um, when McCready got uh, got locked out and they... and um. It was, uh, I believe it was, oh, it was Nals, or Nals, uh, when he came back and showed that, oh, he's got a ripped clothing of McCready, uh, um, of, of his shirt. Um, and then Palmer was saying, we're so close, or basically he wants to see about Fry and McCready. So he's basically saying, well, we, well, we should do it right now because 
who knows he could be a thing and so right. he was basically saying well let him free like that's when Charles was saying well let him freeze to death because they don't mm -hmm. know if he is the thing or not the thing is playing games at this point he's playing a game of chess and that's an interesting little thing i like to pay bring Gee, up bitch is <laughs> that's that's yeah. the that part like i like about this is like i feel like to me when mccready starts to realize that this creature is a threat and so he starts to play a game of chess with it in a sense uh and that's because mm. a, a, a chess game is kind of an obvious kind of oh like a, a little mm. hint like he's got to play a game of chess against an alien being so how is he going to do this and how is he going to figure out who's the thing and who's not it's it's a whole chess game, pretty much hmm. like in a sense. Exactly, and it's a it's a great metaphor for it. Yeah, it's it's really definitely good. I like I like that because of how the film showed that in the beginning, and when you first see McCready, it's like he's playing a chess game, and it, it just kind of references that entire plot of this is going to be a whole chess game between a, a, a biological alien being from space. And the human race. So, yeah, and then when the alien pops through the floor at the very end in Blair's body, um, you know, McCready poured the metaphorical drink down into the CPU board. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've seen this movie many times, and I never put together the chess angle. That's actually cool. Yeah. You know, that's another Motifs. thing, too, because even at the end of the film, at the end of the thing... This is another thing that really, I think, really gets to me a bit. But John Carpenter, he actually did confirm at the end of the film that McCready or Childs was the thing. And, mm -hmm. and, and a lot of people were saying, well, McCready might have been the thing the entire time. And there's a good couple points in the film where you kind of get the idea he could have been just the thing the entire time. And he was just basically killing off the others to basically keep himself in that process of survival because the thing is, what is it trying to do? It's trying to survive. It's trying yeah. to do whatever it can to basically survive and get to other life forms to infect others, which again, leaves a lot of opening plot points from McCready's side, but child is very much questionable because, Hey, in the moment he was guarding the door, looking at the window when McCready and the others were going to go, um, get um blair from the from legitimately from blair when uh when he was in the cabin um yeah. and when they went off the next scene shows that the door is wide open and you see that the jacket the, the there was a jacket next to him specifically is missing and it's been rearranged and changed and the door is just open with child's gone at that point is when blair went ahead and assimilated child's and I feel like even in the end of the scene where McCready offers Childs that drink, it's the same reference. Cheating bitch, the, the uh, chess game that he played when he poured the drink mm. and gave the drink to Childs. I feel like that's a, yep. a reference to that, and it confirms it because, in the sense, Childs was the thing. I mean, hmm. it's that, blatantly obvious. That's exactly what I was going to bring up because – there is a huge theory going around that he didn't give him a shot of whiskey. He gave him <laughs> I know a this bottle one. full of gasoline. Mm -hmm. And that yeah. Dean Steen was showing that specifically uh, McCready was hiding, like say, like a flamethrower under his jacket to kind of just uh, hide it from him, so he doesn't believe that. Oh, you know, though. Well, I'm human, or I'm human. You're, you're human too. So I'm just gonna play along with this for now. 
And when he offered that drink, it does show McCready laughing. Like he he kind of giggles like a little. I knew it. Hmm. Like I knew yeah. it. Because here's the thing. Why would you, even at the end, at at when you thought, oh, you just already killed the thing. You should be good at this point, right? Well, one of your buddies ran off. He said he saw he thought he saw Blair running off in the snow. That's a complete blatant lie. And and just even the idea of like, well, remember. We're all like everyone should start eating from food cans now. That's what I believe uh, Fuchs brought up was like everyone needs to start eating from food cans because we can't cook for each other if one of us is the thing. Yeah. They could easily infect the food and infect all of us that way. So offering that drink to child, I I feel like was a sense of basically he just blatantly just gave himself off right at the end. Hmm. Or he could have just not given a shit at that point if he was a human being. It's kind of like, oh, we're fucked no matter what. Yeah, but, um, I, I, but but there is um, a lot of theories about it. There's the get, you know, the it was a Molotov cocktail that he gave him, so he drank fuel or gasoline. I I, I would love to see someone correct me. Um, actually, that's not fuel. It was gasoline. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to get that one. And then there's some that say you don't see the glint in the eye at the end. And then there's some that say you don't see child's breathing, you know, like his breath at the end. Yeah. The fact that he's wearing jewelry as a potential factor, whether or not the thing would have been able to replicate it. That hideous fucking prequel. uh, Wearing a different jacket. You know, there is one thing I wanted to add, though, that kind of blows away the breath theory. Uh When um, Bennings was out and he did that yell, you can see plenty of breath. Yeah, I agree. It's like you saw the breath coming out of him. I was like, "Well, why bring up the breath if you if if he can't bring up what happened with Bennings?" It doesn't make sense. Obviously, has some degree of like hot bloodedness because it can't stand cold, so it has to keep itself warm to some degree or extent. It's like the tagline in the movie: "Like man is the warmest place to hide," or something like that. Yeah, man is the warmest place to hide. And I mean, in a sense, I mean, the thing is, what what it wants to do is, it wants to go to sleep and wants to be frozen itself again, so a rescue team can pick it up and take it to human right. civilization, because yeah. that's that's the premise of what is going on. The thing, it's both wanting to survive, but it also is trying to find more bodies to, uh, to take over. Then it's one. Now, what mm-hmm. if I was to offer like, okay, what if I went on a complete tangent here? That may go in an, okay. As a potential counter thesis to argue the possibility of Kurt actually being the thing at the end of the film, as he stated himself when he was doing the blood test, the thing itself, when it's split off into whatever segment thereof, it's every cell for itself. So him having to be possibly the thing fighting up against all the other creatures here is still a distinct possibility even towards the end of the film, in my opinion. Granted, he tests himself, so that part, yeah. Uh, Up to that point, you know he isn't. But at the same time, just to kind of bring up a hypothetical, here's where the existential quandary for me kind of comes in contact with the thing, and that is, how does it manage to replicate a human being so goddamned well? Honestly, I question whether or not the people legitimately realize they are the thing or not. 
I actually wonder if there's some degree of consciousness that's being maintained by the prefrontal cortex while anything that's operational from the think side is strictly like a lymphatic or a, like an instinctual reaction to try and motivate the character's actions itself. So hmm. from that point forward, I'm mostly curious, like, uh, oh, even if you were to extend the film going forward with the comics, with the video game, with whatever, if there's a possibility that he may have made it, there's nothing guaranteeing that he's still not fighting as the thing to just give the greatest impression of, like, getting to civilization while all the same believing he is still that man. Yeah, that's it's a good point to bring up because um, I actually think it's it's hard to really say um, when you can't really know if you're actually the if, the thing or not. And I mean, the one thing I feel like that there's a scene that kind of shows that example that po possibly maybe you could be infected or not was the part when they were doing the blood test scene. And the fact that Childs, like, if you look at how Childs was getting ready to, when when McCready was about to poke the needle into the blood, you kind of see him kind of, like, like get himself ready. Like, he feels like, you know, chances are maybe if that blood jumps, then the thing could pop out and be like, I'm going to just take over the brain and everything. It's like, I, I mean, the chances are... The thing is, again, it's a cell. It's like it's 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 a learning cell that knows what the shit's going on, but it learns the memories of those as well that it um it gets involved with, and when it gets infected, when it affects an individual. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe if this if the thing is will say dormant inside the body until it decides it wants to show itself, and the person and the person in mind does not have the knowledge that they could be infected or not. It's it's a possibility, but I feel like that the scene with Child just preparing himself, I think, shows that he doesn't know if he is or not. And so I think he's scared if that blood jumps next, then he then the thing could just take over and just go rampage. Well, once again, it ties into the whole notion of the AIDS epidemic. You know, because once again, this is this is definitely a play off of it. Mm -hmm. How do you know you have it? Do you have mm -hmm. it and you don't know it? You know, could you be in the early stages of getting it? Because once again, this is you're dealing with a disease that you don't know how it fucking works. You don't know what it does. You know, right. it very mm -hmm. well could just take over your fucking hand. So God forbid you lock yourself in the bathroom at the wrong time. But um, <laughs> not the point being is um, I, I, I was just going to bring this up, too, and I keep meaning to. Anybody else notice when they did the blood test scene, when they were about to test Palmer, and he looks like a fucking kid who's about to get in trouble? Like, I know I did this. <laughs> yes, I saw that scene. Uh, I saw, like, we, like, we both all saw that scene. And it, it, it just, it looks like he's like, oh, shit. He's like, I'm in <laughs> trouble now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, since we brought this up, too, it's just a a testament of uh, attention to detail. When they were arguing in the hallway about the blood, did you notice the look of guilt on um, Windows' face? Because he remembered, oh, fuck, I dropped the keys and anybody could have gotten it. And then putting that to Gary's thing. Yeah, and it, it was just in that moment, it was like, uh, it was like oh, fuck. And, now, hold and on it's a like... minute. You've been in here on several occasions. 
you know? Yeah. And he's just it, like, oh, shit. <laughs> it, honestly, it's just, that is, that is so funny as shit when that happens. And then he's like, oh, shit. And he backs up and he runs. Then he kind of like runs out of the room. And everyone's like, where's Windows? And he's just running down, grabs a fucking shotgun. And it's like, like he just he's just all in terror because he doesn't know who to trust anymore, and <laughs> it, it's just that moment. And that that's what I love. That's what I so fucking love about this is the t- the attention to notice that anyone in in that room in that moment could be the thing. And the that is the that is the thing I love about this film is that you don't know who to trust. You don't know who could be one of those things or not. And so it's it's always kind of like a game of who is who and who is not. And, and yeah. that is what's so terrifying because the next thing that could happen, you know, it, it could be anything. And it's it's just so terrifying. So I honestly think when that comes into effect of both the fact of isolation, the n- not knowing if anyone in that room or in or with you at the time honestly could be one of those things that's it's so terrifying and nerve-wracking, and it's so wild, and I love it. Yeah, but it kind of preaches isolation, doesn't it? Because who survived at the end? The guy who stayed in his cabin all day by himself. That's right. <laughs> and that's actually something that um, it's also kind of like got me one, one thing kind of questioning a little bit was who was the one who left the light on in McCready's cabin? Because when McCready does state... That last I wasn't last I Blair. left my cabin, I turned off the light. Yeah. And... I say it was Blair. Because Blair was already infected at that point. He could have gotten at it any fucking time. And they even went up and knocked on the door and said, I, I don't know if they actually asked Blair, did you see anybody go up to my cabin? But I, I remember there was something where he's like, I didn't see anything out here, but I want to come back inside now. You know? Yeah, yeah. Cause at that point... He said he was hearing noises, unprovoked. He just said, I, I don't like it out here. I've been hearing things. That was about it. Right. Y- yeah, and th- that think... was... Oh, go ahead. But I, but I think that, the, that, that at that point, Blair was already infected, and he'd gone up there to get parts, because McCready is a helicopter pilot, you know? Mm-hmm. And also to just help further spread the thing going around, because, mm-hmm. no pun intended with the thing going around, but who punched out Blair, and who threw him in that cabin? Greedy. Greedy. Now, personally, I think Blair was already infected way before that, because was anybody, was anybody in the room with Blair when he was doing the autopsy on the, on the thing? Um, there was a couple he, of people in and out in the early well, parts. Well, you had it? points when it was like they would stand around, and he would, oh, 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 oh yeah. like that, when it was smoking and shit. <laughs> But was he there the whole fucking time by himself? And plus, he's taking blood samples, which are apparently alive, and doing tests and computer simulations. He had to have had a moment where he got infected that way. Well, yeah, and also... Oh, sorry. He had already started to get infected when he went nuts and smashed all the radio equipment because the thing would want a helicopter rescue to come, Right. Or do you think that, that 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 it didn't want anybody to get on the radio and say, look, we're all fucked up here. If you come in here, bring lots of flamethrowers, you know, because the thing would have already absorbed his memories and said, 
you know, and, and figured that somebody would have already come in and said, hey, we haven't heard from in a while, send someone out there with no knowledge of what was going on. Yeah, that, that does leave a good point. And that's a good mm-hmm. point you do bring up is like, yeah, chances are he could have been infected because th- there was a clothing change in that moment. And it does kind of signify like, yeah, he was a, he, he got assimilated or he turned into the thing at that point. But it, again, yeah, it's like it's either you kind of look at it in two different directions. And what and it's either it's actually a part of Blair that is basically it's still him, but he's infected and he's just destroying what he can to prevent him mm-hmm. from him and anybody else who's the thing from spreading this out into the world the other chance is it could be the thing itself destroying it because it it wants to try to infect the others and then basically freeze themselves or wait till someone comes out here and then go from there specifically um but again yeah there's a way a lot of ways you can look at that and i mean chances are maybe blair could have been the human that that moment and then the only time he got assimilated was when somebody went and went out and basically it was trying to assimilate um both blair and was also going to try to assimilate fuchs because that was the scene when um when they were about to go check i think on blair they actually uh went out and saw that fuchs was dead he had burned himself so in a lot of ways it it kind of leaves a bit of questioning on that was like maybe did the thing already go and um he had a lot of time to put that spaceship together yeah yeah he took a lot of time i mean it was pretty fucking fast and yeah he got the helicopter parts and everything so at that point chances are maybe it was blair i it's hard to really say that it's just a it's it's definitely a a good question in theory to kind of leave open to like who could have done it or maybe was it Blair the entire time you know it's it's really a hard game of Adam, or a hard game of again chess <laughs> yeah Blair's character throughout the entire film is the most complex one in my opinion in uh how it tracks his slow progression from autopsy to uh, cellular simulation to recording uh, the possibilities to going out of his fucking mind to being locked up to being found saying I'm okay even though there's a noose dangling right in front of him as if he was going to end it anytime soon but for some reason didn't mm. and to being found with a fucking spaceship in his basement oh and the last scene where he you know finally reveals uh, him being the last thing in theory uh, Nuo? Um, I was going to touch on that I do think that uh the scene, the the moment in which Blair was infected, you it's actually very clearly shot on film, and I don't believe anything in this film was unintentional. Mm-hmm. Um, he's wearing gloves, but the blood is on his wrists. Mm-hmm. It actually goes beyond the edge of the glove, and it is running up his wrist slightly after he sticks his hands into the body to grab the organs. So the question well, that... is, is exactly when did he lose it? Because I honestly think it was sometime after he was already locked up because yeah. he decided to make the noose, but he didn't use it. Well, yeah, and it actually touches into exactly what you said. And you, you cited the lymphatic system. I would think its method of inf- interference in humans and dogs would be predominantly hormonal. Uh... So it realizes that its host is about to kill itself and it triggers a dump of serotonin, which is like, oh, I'm fine. I'll be fine. Everything is fine. And when they come out, he's really calm. He's like drugged calm. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, when I said lymphatic, I was kind of spitballing to generally mean the temporal region and just animalistic instinct. Yeah. Well, uh, but you were really is when they oh, get God. infected, do they always have to be wrapped in tentacles and torn apart? Or do you think when he reached inside that the that still living thing, by the way, you know, that was all smoking and shit with 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 cellular yeah. activity, could it very well have just, you know, pricked his finger? Yeah, no, he showed the simulation already. He used the dog sample and all that. It doesn't have to be a living organism that tries to absorb you. It could absorb you from the inside out. It was just Kurt that was the only one that said, hey, this thing rips through clothes when it takes over someone. He could have just as easily been wrong about all of that with just a slow, yeah. inevitable infection. Yeah, for all anybody knows... Um... Someone could have fucking ran out of toilet paper and used the long johns and just threw them in the garbage. You know, and yeah. taking off the name tag, being like, I don't want anybody to know that I ran out of toilet paper. Mm, they shit themselves in a slightly scary scene and got rid of them. You know, but th <laughs> but that's an even better thing right there to bring up as well. Is McCready, like the best heroes, I think, are fallible heroes. Like what made Ben in Night of the Living Dead so memorable, aside from the obvious social thing that George Romero was pushing? It was the idea that he's the hero of the story, but he's capable of making mistakes. Mm. You know, that's what makes them human. That's what makes them so fucking cool is that you can relate to them, that they make mistakes as well. And, and just I want to stick that point in there again. That's what makes them human is that they make mistakes. Yeah, but you this know? Is... And the same thing with McCready. He could be making just, hey, I think this is what happens. And, and the same thing with him. Well, he kind of shot um, uh, Clark out of self-defense because Clark was going to yeah. blast him with a scalpel, you know? So that couldn't have really been a mistake. And the best part about the whole thing, too, is is that we very well could be just sitting here spreading theories when the reality of the situation is is that he blew the thing up and Childs and McCready were both human. And we're just sitting here saying, nah, it's got to be more difficult than that. Yeah, it's the beauty of the film. It's just pure paranoia, uncertainty, mistrust. That the That's whole the whole concept. Yeah. That's what made it such an amazing story. You can argue it from here to the day you're dead, but Christ knows it proved its point. You never know. Yeah, yeah. and even if John Carpenter came out one day and said, look, this is what really happened. You know that there's going to be people like us that are like, nah, he's <laughs> fucking with us. Or well, no, he's wrong. It's not just that. Um, there, oh, it's a, it's a, it's an essay that was written called "A Good Man Is Hard to Come By." Obscure. I don't expect you to know it off the bat, but needless to say, without getting into the plot, at the end, the author came out and wrote a whole explanation of what the story was about and why every scene was the way it was and what everything meant. And the entire modern field of English literature, every essay we write is, uh, yeah, she had no idea what she wrote. Like, it, we actually, uh, intent and final product are kind of divorced from one another, where when I, uh, when I think about the thing, I actually think about the film itself as an entirely standalone thing. The game is a nice thing. The comics are a nice thing that expand upon the universe. Mm -hmm. But simply by virtue of having been created after, they don't necessarily limit it. It's just what mm -hmm. future people and the future creators agreed makes sense, but it doesn't necessarily... 
like if a sequel came out and the sequel said neither of them were infected and they were both rescued because there happened to be a military helicopter flying in the area that saw them, I wouldn't accept that as canon. I tend to classify that as mm. post-canon. Like, once the first work is completed, it itself is set in stone, and anything you say after the fact, like, if, you're, if every fan and reader has a general consensus about it that you disagree with, you are now wrong, even if you've created it. Mm -hmm. Well, here's a curiosity as well. Who's played the game? I've seen uh, footage. I've played a little, but did not finish the game, sadly, since I had returned it um, a long time ago when I was young. Um, uh, I beat it. Uh, I believe you have one up on the rest of us. Well, then I can... I played most you know of what? it. I didn't care it's for the plot twist. It's been long enough that... It had an interesting plot twist. It was a, It was a really good game. For its time, um, it ran off the notion that people could get infected and that you have to maintain the trust system and that you could take blood tests to see who's human. But it was very problematic because you could test somebody and they could be uninfected. And then once you hit a scripted moment, they would suddenly turn into a monster. Didn't the government you want know, to turn the thing into a bioweapon or something? It was like, yes. Yeah, they had one of those dealies. And then they got the Smoky Man like from the X Files to voice the main villain. <laughs> that was cool, but hey. Uh, and then at the okay. very end, some guy with a big old fucking cowboy hat and a and a bushy beard, you know, picks you up in a helicopter. You know, so yeah. it's it, it it very well could not be considered canon. I tried really hard, you know, but um, it's definitely it, an interesting piece of history to try out. It's just that uh. I, I don't feel the game aged very well, and it's kind of like when you play Aliens Colonial Marines, where the coolest part about the game is when you revisit things from the movies, but then the kind of realization hits in that it that's only one level, and there's like nine others. Mm. Yeah, like to me when I when I first saw the game, and it, it was kind of, it has the interesting premise. I feel like if anything, if you were to try to do it in a modern game style today. It'd be interesting what they could do with that in a sense, but again, it's until they decide that's going to be a long shot. But I will say this: that um, that honestly, with the game itself, um, it, it it's the one thing I kind of just found that was just really funny and just somewhat similar to another game that I've that I've definitely played was when the characters kind of like vomit or piss themselves because they either they don't know how to control their bodily functions in the game i swear it just gives me some similarities to sims and i'm like i don't know it's it's a little odd it's a little far-fetched but it was just it just seemed like they had some it's like they took some of the assets of that from sims and they just incorporated it into the thing for their like trust system in a sense <laughs> can somebody uh, please make a thing mod for the sims game <laughs> it's probably out there i mean god knows it wouldn't surprise me i mean <laughs> the way the infections and trust system worked in the game it was really it was i i think it was too ahead of the technology that was available at the time because once again, you had those moments where, and people have done this, and they've shown videos of it, and I've even had it happen too, where you test somebody like an engineer, 
You need an engineer to fix door panels so that you can yeah. open doors because fuck kicking them open or breaking the glass or anything. You know, you got to have somebody that, that knows how to rewire this shit. You'll get an engineer, you test him, and then you test yourself to show that he can trust you. And then he'll go and he'll fix the door. And then as soon as you go through that door, he mutates into a monster. Yeah. yeah. Technical it, it, limitations. Technical limitations. And it's it definitely was kind of one of the off parts about the game was like, yeah, like all of a sudden one person's like, oh, yeah, this guy's fine. Here, here have a gun, buddy. And it's like, next thing you know, they fucking transform like right when you get to a scripted moment of the game. And it's just honestly, it was just it's mind boggling. And it's it just makes you kind of question a little bit of like, why the fuck did this happen? And again, yeah, I think it was just at the time it was a game that was trying to do something interesting but it they just did it just did not work mm. and i agree it's 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 a game that still has an interesting like it has an interesting little story to it and it still has some interesting mechanics that they have for it but it, it can be kind of like annoying a little for like some things mm. like i mean in a sense like there, there's one thing i kind of noticed about the game that was really really odd was like there's a meter for like repairing a uh, a regular like door panel thing, and it was like you were like, oh, you're like repairing it, but you got a meter. Like, what's so important about this meter? Why why is this a thing? Am I being rushed or something? You know. And then like the engineers, like yeah, I can understand the fact that you have to get have an engineer to unlock advanced door panels, which again, that's it's it's another mechanic of the game. Um, it's definitely, I think it's, it's interesting, but at the, at the time it was made and the limitations of what it was able to do, I think it definitely could have done a little bit more different on something. If you, if anything, if you were to make a thing video game today, I would like to see it somewhat similar, but done better, um, in a sense, like what they did with Friday the 13th. They actually made, like, when they made that video game, they made it into a multiplayer type of game, but they did it in a way that was actually fun and players enjoyed. And I think that that would be really cool in a sense if they were to do that either as a multiplayer-based game where... With the thing. With the thing. Like, yeah. it, I, I would love to see if they could create or make the game kind of randomly create different type of, of just different things available to you not just like something they could either make or just have the game created out of its own ai learning or something i would mm -hmm. fucking love that and i think that'd be fucking wild if someone could make a multiplayer somewhat similar to like friday the 13th but as the thing that'd be interesting if you had people following you that got attacked multiple times then the risk does run that they could get infected and there were moments where you could do an infection test on someone and then it would come back where the thing would explode because, you know, it, 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 they were infected. And mm -hmm. then they would transform them and it would be like, oh, shit. And sometimes it didn't always happen. But when you had those moments where, okay, you're not supposed to have an engineer for this part. And that was because theoretically, if you kept the same engineer alive, you could be skipping multiple parts of the game because you wouldn't have to go to this area of the game and find this engineer who's badly wounded and terrified and the only way that you could fix the shit is by giving him a med kit and then giving him a really powerful gun so he felt well enough mm -hmm. that he wasn't suicidal and that he would trust you to follow you to get so to they wrote point. themselves into a corner into a with corner. their own mechanics mm -hmm. yes 
So it, it wound up being one of those things where it was like, well, we're fucked. There is something that did come out not too long ago, which is an actual board game of the thing. There is an actual board game. And it's mm-hmm. very expensive, but it's a it's a really interesting board game from what I've heard, and it's definitely really fun. Um, and just that's in board game form. So that I mean, in some way, that's somewhat close to what mm. you could at least have for like a modern day type of game based around the thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think if anything, uh, if anything, anything? That's, if there's any game close to it, um, to the thing, I think the only closest game that I would that be the the best overall. I would give it to Dead Space. Anything mm. like, if anything, Dead Space was the one that really kind of took a lot of inspiration from the thing, and I honestly think it's it's basically the best type of the thing video game in a sense, but that takes place in space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. It does have yeah. like that uh, organic based uh, encounter system, while at the same time maintaining plenty of scripts just to be able to keep you on your toes. Uh, but sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt this, Gary. Uh, let's. Uh... Oh no! If they were gonna do a thing game under modern circumstances, as much as I hate it, it would have to be a multiplayer game. It would have to be mm. where you're in constant communication with other human players. I mean, I'm not a big fan of multiplayer games. I mean, me and Rage, we met each other playing Friday the Thirteenth, and yeah. that was cool and everything. But that's Friday the Thirteenth, and. Sometimes you just like to have that single-player experience without dealing with the variables of having other people mm. potentially fucking your game up. I mean, with the thing, it would actually work in a sense of having players that are distrustful of you because they don't know you. You'd have players that would shoot you, you know, because they're they're not sure if you're, you know, hey, I took a chance, you know, that sort of business. Mm. It would have to be a multiplayer game. And it would have to be something in the vein of Friday the 13th where one player is already, like, pre-infected and they're the only ones that know it. But then again, you could have some fucking idiot that's like, hey, guys, I'm infected. Get all the stuff done and get your points in, you know? That, that, that's what I hate about multiplayer games mm. is, is that you have that honor system where, you, you know, you could have someone playing as Jason and then they're like, here, just get the stuff done. You guys need the points, you know? Or you could have players that die and then they're fucking watching the other players and they're in a Discord server with their friend who happens to be Jason. Like, yeah, he's hiding in the closet. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. a problem with having to run it as a multiplayer. Granted, I like the concept of it, but at the same time, unless you try and manipulate the atmosphere to keep it eerie, it would probably still kind of falter in the same way that all the other uh, secondhand mediums to the original thing fails in trying to like the original film encapsulated the emotion that it was going for while everything that's trying to repeat it is simply trying to encapsulate the film itself so it just fails off the wayside by trying to emulate it and something like that multiplayer experience would maybe be the closest you could get but or it would still have so many flaws what the 2011 prequel did as well exactly yeah. Yeah, the the 2011 again with the 2011 prequel, there was another game that did come out be, because of the film coming out specifically, and it wasn't really like top notch, like best of game wise graphics, and it wasn't really a great game in a sense. But for what they were trying to kind kind of give was kind of an interesting little story tidbit to kind of follow along with the movie. But it, again, nothing really major. It's just just a short little online game that you can play. Um, 
if anything, if they were going to incorporate it into a video game like multiplayer, likewise, it I would say the closest thing that would possibly really work would be a game like Murder, um, where Murder, it basically one person is known being, hey, this is the person with the gun, and then there's one person who is the murderer, but no one knows who it is. In a sense, I feel like that would be a great way of kind of making a game off based off the thing was having that. But hey, I know that what you mean. Like if say one person is the thing and say they're not doing their job very well, if anything, the one thing that would be really cool would be to incorporate a way for the game to kind of try to find different ways of infecting another individual without the other player's consent in a sense. Basically, like the, like the thing player if someone isn't doing their thing someone else could get infected by other means like say mm -hmm. oh like the like the dogs my the dog kennel might be open in the beginning and one of the dogs is infected and it's controlled by an ai that will try to go bite one of the victims or hey like another thing that was incorporated in the 2011 film was maybe like a severed hand like like maybe like there was a body that was found and the hands missing and it's an AI one, so it's like going through like the vents, and it will basically jump at the nearest player to infect them. So it forces players to actually have to do something about it. And the only way to gain points is by is by killing the thing, or for the thing to kill them. Hmm. Interesting. What's mm -hmm. well, mm -hmm. uh... if you were gonna look for a game that absolutely draws inspirations from the thing, other than Dead Space, look up Distrust. Mm. It's out on pretty oh, much everything now. Oh, I forgot now. to mention Distrust. That's another game that takes inspiration of John Carpenter's thing. Fuck, I remember. You got now. the Arctic base. You got the, you, you, but, but it's much more different than the thing. Instead of having like an alien that takes over your body, you got like lights that fucking try to take over you while you sleep. Oh yeah. Dude, I actually got the game not too long ago, and I'm actually I still have to play it. But they actually introduced a co-op in the game as well. I actually I, I've had it for quite some time, but it was one of those things where I played it, I went through it, and I was like, eh, it was all right, and then I was done with it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, in, in a sense, it's like it's another interesting game that does draw inspiration from John Carpenter's The Thing. Which mm -hmm. I mean, hey, that's really good. I, if anything, if 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 games cannot make the thing video game happen, you know, inspirations like distrust are great examples that people would love to have something similar to the John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I mean, it's no brainer in a in a modern day gaming generation where indie developers can make whatever they want. It's possible. Um, yeah. and it, it'd be really cool to see that. It would be nice to see it brought back at some yeah. point. It, it's, it would definitely make for a good multiplayer experience, and it would definitely be one of those things that I, I, I hate that because I remember when I was a kid when the game first came out. I remember I asked my mom because, um, you, you know, like that was my only way to get to the store to buy the fucking thing was, you know, hey, you know, can we go down and get the thing? What thing? The thing. <laughs> uh, I'll get uh, it for you, but you got to tell me what it is. The thing. It's it's a game called The Thing. All right. What is The Thing? Is it a bad game that you can't tell me the name of it? No, The Thing. It's based off of the movie The Thing. What movie? 
<laughs> you know okay. the thing with the place let, and the guy. Here, let let me sit you down. Let me go put in the VHS of the movie The Thing, and we're gonna watch it all the way through. <laughs> oh no! Well, once I said it was based off of the movie, she knew what the hell I was talking about. But if you're uh, a kid growing up, hey, can you know? Can I have sixty bucks to buy the thing? What thing? You know the thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a. It's definitely a great name for when it comes to like confusing people about what thing are you talking about? It's like the thing <laughs> video game. Right. I, I, I can I can see where they can get quite right. confusing for a lot of parents who don't know what to get their kids or what their they kids are actually to. asking. Or anything for that matter, because the video game, the prequel, the original, the comics, everything is just named the thing with no suffixes. So good fucking luck trying to figure it out. Yeah. Well, apparently they were going to make a sequel to the PS2 game, but then the company that was making it went into receivership. But apparently it never went past the proof of concept stage, and uh, apparently there might be demo videos. Same company, I believe, who made the excellent Simpsons Hit and Run, if I'm not mistaken. Ah. Uh... Yes, baby. Okay, immediately I'm interested. All right. I believe it's the same developers. Huh. Let's wrap Computer up. Computer artwork. Let's wrap up this review. Okay. All right, all right. I mean, yeah. yeah. So I think we pretty much covered the thing. Yeah, John Carpenter's a thing. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Say, so are we still doing the thing? Huh. Do we, do we have a clothing line to do? <laughs> that, that thing. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that thing. So, all right, so I, I guess the best way to close it out would just be um, this is Slaya, and this is the Real Bad News cast. And I gotta say, uh, Ardwolf and Miss Trift, you guys were excellent guests, full of insight. Thank yeah, thanks so much for coming in and talking with yeah. us. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad we're able to pleasure. join y'all on this. This was something I really was excited about, so I, I'm glad to be here for that. Yeah, maybe we'll abduct you for a future review of something. We'll, we'll see. Um, Ooh, sounds like a plan. <laughs> And this is the real bad dudes saying, yeah, and fuck yeah, you too. Fuck you too. I like take two. That nice. was nice. <laughs> Here are some additional bits that talks about video game remakes and such. So enjoy. It, mm. it really comes down when it comes to like anything with horror based games in general. Like a lot of them are, can be done really well in the sense that they, how they can approach it and how they can give gamer is a different experience um like I, I will say like from what they had said about resident evil 3 and from what i've even heard about it too was about certain things that they had to cut out in a sense which I, in a sense like to most players who played the original resident resident evil 3 nemesis um going off topic for a moment with this but specifically with that no go ahead we can talk about this too because this is part of what we do we don't just okay. stick to a format. We have fun and bullshit and chill and have okay. fun. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, in a sense, I think that that's where I think most people kind of get a little bit angry about things. And that's where, like, you're, you're missing the point of what was basically what made the original the original. And I understand that people love it for the original. But sometimes, while most developers are limited to what they're able to do with the with any games nowadays i mean they still have a limit of possibilities it's just the time and development process is always going to be that process for it so if they even have more time they could have added in those scenes and added those moments in the game but 
in general, I, if I had to say, it's still, to me, I think it's still a great-looking game. I still think it's really good. Nemesis, to me, is really freaky as hell. And I, I honestly, it's 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 still a great game. Resident Evil 2, when I played it, I think was the best Resident Evil game I've played in a long time outside of Resident Evil 7, which was also great. Oh, you're talking about the remake of 2, right? Remake of 2, yes. Resident Evil 2 remake, solid. Mm um that oh, one was great beautiful yeah it was beautiful and then even with resident evil 7 being that it's a completely different experience taking it into a first person perspective i think to me that it still was also really freaking terrifying and it was going back to the roots of what made resident evil resident evil not this whole action type of call of duty style experience and I feel like that's so, that developers, in a sense, have done that a lot, especially with one of my most favorite games of all, Dead Space. And that game mm -hmm. was heavily inspired by the thing, mm -hmm. heavily by like the necromorphs. Everything about that was just incredible. And I hate to see that when three came out, it EA forced the whole process of an action shooter into it. Yeah. And it Experience. Fun trivia. Mm -hmm. Did you know that John Carpenter is a gamer and he actually played Dead Space? No Ooh. shit. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. Well, did you oh. know that John Carpenter is in a game? Uh, which one? The Thing. Oh, yeah. Oh. I was about to say, I told you this. Don't turn around for you. Yeah. In a way, though, it's like I even went and even saw a whole like little uh, document documentary over Dead Space and that they really referenced a bit about how the thing was really one of their inspirations to create the Necromorphs. And, I, and that's why I really think if anything nowadays, if any film is going to do something, any film or game is going to do something that crazy, it's going to be the fans, the people who love those films that could do something with a similar formula or something even better. Well, it depends because I mean, sometimes, you know, get, get your hate mail started now, but sometimes you gotta be careful of having fans in charge of things like that. That's I mean, true. If you want to go back to the resident evil three argument, the, what are the top complaints that you've heard about it? What I've heard is, is that, Oh, it's four and a half hours long. And they cut out the, the, the clock tower area and nemesis is scripted and i mean when you look at the four and a half hour argument that was your experience because you probably wanted to speed run it so that you could stream it looking for views you know and then as far as the clock tower being cut argument didn't they expand on the hospital i you know, i don't know another iconic location i can't really say for sure i mean from what the arguments were saying about the game specifically honestly it was like i understand that yeah, but like people who love the original, hey, they they really wish they had that experience with the new one. But in a sense, again, I still think it's still, and honestly, it's still a great game. I think it's still a really good game for what it is. I have no issues with it myself. I know that if anyone's going to have issues, it's the players who played the previous games and so forth. Um, and I mean, well, here's that, the thing: is I yeah. love picking apart arguments. Uh, yeah. You know, so when I hear things like, well, they took out the clock tower area, yeah, they did, and they expanded on the hospital. You know, so the cut content thing is kind of bullshit. The, the four-and-a-half-hour thing, I've heard people say that it's actually six with the cut scene, and that's if you're rushing. And then yeah. as far as the Nemesis being scripted thing, I got news for you. Nemesis was scripted in the original, too. 
He didn't yeah. just randomly appear. You know. So the major argument is just the fact that it is in one hand too similar to the original game, and in the other hand too divergent from the original game. No, what makes it short? Too, everybody says that it's too dissimilar to the original when it's more like the original than people want to admit that it is. Well, I'm not sure it's a matter of wanting to admit. There's With these remakes, the biggest issue a lot of people seem to have is um, what I call the rose-colored glasses effect, where nothing is ever going to feel like how something was your first time experiencing it at Everybody a significantly younger it. age. Restorative nostalgia is a fool's errand. You're never going to experience it the same way twice, and why would you want to? You should be yeah. just as happy that something new was created out of something old that's at least familiar. You know, but yeah. on the other side of the coin, too, is that if they had completely remade the game, but they made it exactly like the original, people would have accused the developers of being lazy. Because that's what I hear, it's just, oh, they rushed it out. Didn't seem like it was rushed, because I haven't heard any complaints about the game being Didn't they bugged. already re-release Resident Evil 3 on, like, GameCube or something, and it was just pretty much the same game, only maybe slightly higher res or something like that? Yeah, and people yeah. pitched about that. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. And I mean, people weren't making these complaints about Resident Evil 2's remake, and they changed some things, and that game only lasted, what, realistically? Maybe three, four, four and a half hours, too? Yeah, that's what I was saying was, like, the aspect that people would otherwise complain about for being too similar to the original, but it's the subject of its limitations that bred from the necessity creativity and what made the original game great. Why make any complaints between either that for the second remake or the third remake? Well, the only thing that I really have to say at the end of it is, is just, if it, if it is, let's say it is four and a half hours, was it a good four and a half hours? Was it fun? And I mean, that's what people don't seem to focus on. Just because it's short to them, you know, it, it automatically becomes a quote unquote, this is, my, this is a, a, a favorite reviewer term these days. Yeah. It is either garbage or a dumpster fire. Well, as a consumer, you have reviews and stuff anyway, so if you don't want to pay 60 bones for a four-hour game, wait till it goes on sale. You have that choice as a consumer. We have well, more information a, than ever to decide. This is something that I need to stress. Speaking as a reviewer, don't trust reviewers 100%, because right. it should be more of a guideline instead of a rule mm -hmm. when you watch YouTube videos. Like, if you watch my don't reviews... Trust us. No, if you watch my reviews, don't one hundred percent take my word right, for right. it. You got to. Mm. All, all I'll tell you is, is just my experience with it, and whether or not I think you should try it out. But I'll never tell a person what to do with the money. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, what a review should be is just a guideline and not a rule, not you know, not the be all end all. If someone comes in and says that they like something, you you don't just jump in and say, no, I I thought it was trash. You know, you can't do that. It's the same thing with um, the Castlevania Netflix series that's going around right now. I love Castlevania, but I don't care for the Netflix series. But every time I tell people why I don't care for it, you get people jumping down your throat about it. Right. It, yeah. and at the risk of sounding like an old perennial, it's the old adage of beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You know, it, don't get lost in details of whether or not something is going to be good when you should just be enjoying it. And if you don't like it, then just, you know, take your own word for it or take anyone else's word for it that they didn't like it either. Don't try and change things like that. People are entitled to opinions. 
Yep. I mean, in, in all things, I think most people should really just enjoy the experience for what it is. Take their time, enjoy the experience, and, you know, have fun with it. Whenever people always just, like, try to play something and they say it's, oh, it's terrible, or this is not great. I feel like they could have done better with this. It's like, well, you haven't taken time to see if the game, if it's actually, like, really good or not. Like, hell, like, Dark Souls, I love Dark Souls, and that's one of my favorite RPGs of all time. Um, you know, it's a great game, but it's also very difficult. And most people would say they'll complain about, oh, it's too difficult, it's too hard. But it's like, well, that's the purpose of the game. It's meant to be difficult. It's meant to be hard. It's meant to challenge players on on trying to defeat that boss. And when you defeat that boss, how are you going to feel? You're going to feel freaking good when you defeat yeah. the boss. And so in a sense, it, that's where it's like, I think, if anything... If you feel your experience with a game is going to be good, then, hey, that's your good feedback. If you feel the game wasn't up to what you had liked about it, if it was, like, lacking in some department in some area, hey, that's your – it's it's how you felt about the game. Everybody's opinion, you know, if it matters or not, you know, it's – as long as you've had a great experience, it's what's the best thing ever. Other than that, listening to the reviewers, listening to what critics say, it – it's always kind of just a jumbled mess of words. If if a lot of people say it's good, hey, check it out then. If people say it's terrible and you still think it looks interesting, still take a look at it if you want. Mm. But you know, take it as a warning if you if you feel like hey, if people are saying this is bad, I'll wait till there's a sale. Or yeah, don't let I, it be the don't let it be the be all end all. <laughs> yeah, don't let it end like what you would expect the game to be. If a game looks good, but it, not a lot of people like it don't let that scare you just check it out yeah i i say it's okay to like something that others consider bad uh because until i fell victim to this myself like when um operation raccoon city came out Mm -hmm. i played it and i'm like i really like this i'm having a lot of fun with this and then i had people watching me play it and they're like this game sucks this game's bad well this game's horrible and i'm but you know it's like but i'm having fun with this but then by the time the game ended i'm like this game fucking sucks (laughs) well now here's another thing with the scripted things i want to jump back to resident evil quick where people were bitching that nemesis is scripted Mm. and my counter to that is is that well nemesis is scripted in the original as well Mm -hmm. this is going to come out after the clock tower review is done but this is something that um i talked about briefly in this clock tower review that I'm doing right now is that I walked around the mansion for 45 minutes and I only saw scissor man once. And you know, that's kind of like the premise of the game is that you're getting chased around by fucking scissor man. But to be fair, this is probably one of those things where if it wasn't script, you, you know, where if I did have more appearances and, and it wasn't scripted and that he could appear at any time, I'd be bitching about not being able to get anything done. So imagine if Nemesis wasn't scripted and he could just show up at any time, how much would you be able to accomplish? Mm. Yeah. Uh, that That's kind of the biggest issue when it comes to video game development, especially for that circumstance. You can create the greatest horror tension by having everything done off the cuff, non-script. But... Yeah, it can kind of run on and on and on. The issue with having to include those scripted events, though, similarly to the thing, is trying to not break your own rules in the process. 
Yeah, like maybe introduce a new true. character out of nowhere or something like that if you need to kind of induce that sort of panic, but try and do it artfully mm. and undetectable in its own rights. Well, but out of curiosity. Do that with the thing, but they really fucked it up because yeah. hope you enjoyed the bonus clip and the John Carpenter's thing review. Until next time. It's cold outside, I've been running for miles Helicopter trailing behind Hey, it's a camp thing, I'll stay for a while Won't you help a doggy out of a bind? There's nothing to see here, I'm only a husky Your average adorable rover But once I convince you it's okay to trust me Your civilization is over I can't wait to see their faces when I spring Yes, sir Cause they think that I'm a dog But I'm the thing I'm the thing, baby can you tell that I'm not from around here? Did you know that things are worse than you feared? Cause I've been to a million planets And I can copy you right down to your beard You can check on your ancient computer It's astonishing how quickly I spread You can pick up an axe and go crazy But I can grow legs from my head so I might be MacReady or maybe I'm Doc Blair's been acting awfully suspicious But Gary's a liar, be sure to watch Clark And Windows, well he's just delicious So perform your little test Hey, you found me, I'm impressed Hate to interrupt your endless bickering Big surprise, guys, I'm Another world, baby. Oh, you really gotta love paranoia. More than half of you believe that I'm Mac. Once you make up your mind, you can blow me up, or you can burn me, or keep coming back. I could be anyone, so watch those hands, Doc. Ouch. You'll either end up dead or tied to this fucking couch. the points of silly denials so am i mccready or could i be childs which one am i baby these poor bastards in the snow they were clueless now they know it's a special brand of nightmare that i bring yes they thought